0: So my wife, Sharon, and I got married, we were broke. How I many of y'all started off broke? You remember, we ain't got money, honey, but we got love. Good thing too, because we ain't got any money. We were eating off a card table and driving a 1902 Pinto. For you young people, that's a car, not a bean. And before we got married, we never talked about church stuff or Jesus stuff. Apparently our pre-marriage counseling was lacking because there wasn't any. And so we get married and moved to my hometown where I grew up of Nashville, cause that's where the job was. And my wife suddenly remembered she was a Baptist. Apparently, doctrinally speaking, once you're a Baptist, you're always a Baptist or something. I don't know how that works exactly, but she decided we're going to church. So she gets up on Sunday morning and announces, we are going to church. This is the first I'd ever heard of this concept, to which I said, we aren't doing anything. It's Sunday. I will be here drinking beer and watching football. This is what we do on Sunday and of course she gets mad and hurt her husband is whatever he is and and we're in Nashville y'all i mean that's the buckle of the bible belt i mean there's more Baptists than people in nashville <laughs> and so she gets in the car and goes down and finds a little baptist church and goes to church and you know goes up to the altar and has the elders of the little baptist church pray for her heathen husband and The next Sunday, this repeats itself, and the next Sunday, it repeats itself, and several months, this goes along, and some Sundays, she'd get mad to stay home and make both of us miserable for several hours and mess up the football and everything, and then I got into this multi-level thing, was in it for about a week or something, I don't know, and You know those things, I made all my friends mad. You know those things, right? You make all your friends mad, right? So I got in that thing and one of my beer drinking buddies got got me into it. There's a lot of beer in this story. And um, (laughs) he and I were so dumb that we would go to happy hour before we make sales calls and couldn't figure out why we couldn't close a sale. This is how dumb these two rednecks were. And so a couple of redneck hillbillies got no sense at all, right? And so we go to one of their uh, pep rallies, one of their rah-rah sessions in Birmingham, Alabama at the Alabama Theater. Now in my mind, I thought there were 10,000 people there. I actually just used the venue the other day, the Alabama Theater, it holds 800. So I don't know what happened. (laughs) I think it's like going back to your elementary school and it shrinks, you know how that works? And so um, we were back in the balcony up at the top, two little redneck guys. And we had written down five things that if we could do these five things, if we could learn these five things, we would be able to get rich doing this multi-level thing. We get the yacht, the big house, the vacation, you know, whatever your dream is, right? Living the dream. And the main guy that was supposed to speak was the biggest earner. You know, he's earning like $400,000 a minute or whatever it was. you know, they've got the big check. You know how they do that stuff and all that stuff. Show you how rich they are and how, how successful they are and all that. And you want to be like them. And we wanted to be like him. And and so he's the last guy on at the end of the day. We've been all day long in this pep rally. We're, you know, just completely emotionally wrung out. And he goes, he already had credibility with us. I mean, we're up in the balcony. He's on the stage with the big check. We wanted to be him already. You know what I'm saying? Say yes. And, and so he, 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 he then he gets up. And he does his talk, and it was like he had our five things we wanted to know as the outline for his talk. To say that he owned us at the end of the talk would be an understatement, right? And then he says, and there's one more thing. And we said, no, there's not. We got our five. He goes, if you don't know God, if you don't meet this man named Jesus, you're going to struggle in business. And I I got that German shepherd thing. (laughs) Say, what? Really? Really? he said, yeah, cause Jesus teaches you to value people. And if you see people as a transaction instead of a relationship, you will always struggle in business. Oh, okay. Guess that stuff Sharon's talking about on Sunday, maybe I need to, okay. So me and my buddy are like, all right, God, do it. <laughs> right? So we go back to the Hampton Inn or whatever it was. And in the nightstand is a Gideon's Bible, right? We get that thing out. King James, Shakespeare, and Jesus—no chance these two rednecks are figuring this out. No chance. But I did go home and told my wife. I said, "We're going to church," and we went out and visited some churches where people were bored with God. Have y'all ever seen those churches? Yeah. Looked back. People looked like they were weaned on a pickle. And um, you know, I just. Uh nasty, right? And then we went in one, and it's the first time I'd ever been in a church where somebody, well, I hadn't even been in many churches at all, but it's the first time I was ever around anybody that somebody raised their hand, and this woman in the choir raising her hand, like she, I said, well, she's got the answer, y'all call on her. I mean, it's like, and then some other people started doing that, and they started swaying, now, we're on the back row for a quick escape if we need to. You know how you do that. Like when you're visiting, right? You can get in and out. And nobody, don't have to talk to real people or anything. And um, I told Sharon, I said, if they get snakes out, we're out of here. <laughs> but we stuck there. There's was a little church of about 400. It later grew to about 8,000. Old-fashioned pastor back in the day, you know, they would stand at the back door of the church after service and shake your hand as you left. And his wife, big squishy woman, she'd give you a big hug, you know, and (laughs) big grandma hug, right? And just, uh, you know, that woman and her husband, who's a man, because I thought all Christians were wusses. Her husband was a man, stood for what he believed in. And her grace and love and the sense of who they are, it wasn't long before I was on my face before Jesus after they're explaining it to me and getting baptized and meeting God in that setting. It was pretty incredible times. About that time I started buying and selling real estate. I had left that other thing obviously and and I was good at it and I got rich. I grew up in Antioch, Tennessee. I mean, I didn't grow up rich. And, um, so I started buying and selling real estate. By the time I was 26 years old, I had about $4 million worth of real estate and I was making $250,000 cash taxable income a year. Now in 1984, $250,000 was known as a lot of money. It's $20,000 a month. I don't know where you grew up, but in my neighborhood, we called that rich. It was fun too. You got that car you always wanted. If I ever get some money, I would get that car. I'm a car guy, so I wanted a car. I wanted wanted to get a Jaguar, because in the neighborhood I grew up in, they couldn't even spell Jaguar and didn't even know what one was. So I knew it was exotic, right? It was cool. So I got me a Jaguar within 90 days, baby. I was a Jaguar. "Ah," Right, you know? Right. So we got Sharon some of those sparkly things for her hands and they weren't big enough in her ears and we got her some more. Oh, it was fun. And then we went to Hawaii. Wow, hillbillies in Hawaii, oh, wow. We had so much fun, you know what we did? We went back, we were having fun, y'all. You know, sometimes I hear these people say, all those rich people are miserable. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Now, I'm not here to tell you money will make you rich. I'm not that theologically or philosophically shallow. Money will not make you happy. It will make you rich. Money will not make you happy. I'm not here to tell you money will make you happier. Money makes you somebody. I'll tell you what money will do. Money will make you more of what you are. If you're mean and you get money, Lord, help those people around you. You'll be a bully on steroids, won't you? You're compassionate and loving and you get money. The generosity will just pour out of who you are. You can't stop it. This is your heart and who you are. You're crazy and you get money. Ooh, cray cray. I'm serious. And you get some money, the the crazy in your family expands. Have you ever, you know what I'm talking about? And everybody's got crazy in their family, don't they? If you don't think you've got crazy in your family, it's you. Money is not evil. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says... The love of money is the root of all evil. See, this stuff is just good for a couple things. I mean, it's just good to, you know, buy yourself some food, buy somebody else some food that's hungry, help your family, help somebody else's family. It's just a tool, isn't it? And it can be used for good or bad. It's just a tool. All those rich people are evil. What? What Bible are you reading? That's called Gnosticism. It's a form of heresy. Nowhere in scripture that says that poor people are evil or rich people are evil. It just says people need Jesus is what it says. So be careful when you take your societal implications and let the culture teach you theology, it's very dangerous. So we were doing really good. Everything's going along well, but I had done some stupid stuff with money. How many of you ever done something stupid with money? How many of you that didn't raise your hand have a problem with lying? if you've made mistakes with money, that makes you over 12. (laughs) Everybody has. And I did it with zeros on the end because it's go big or go home with me. Our bank got sold to another bank. I was doing flip this house before there was cable TV to show you how. And making good money and I wasn't late on any notes, but I was just dumb because I was signing these 90 day notes like they were water. And the bank got sold to another bank and a guy in another city looks down and says, there's a 26 year old kid owes us millions of dollars in Nashville. Let's limit this relationship, which is banker talk for ruin his life. And they called our notes. A short version of the story is we spent the next two and a half years of our life fighting to pay our bills and do what we were supposed to do, but ultimately losing everything we owned. We were sued, we were foreclosed on. We were sued so many times, the little guy with the sheriff's department that brings the little pink lawsuit papers. We're on a first name basis with the old boy. Sharon's making him cookies, you know, come on in Harold, right? And it's just, well, it wasn't his fault, you know, and. So finally with a brand new baby and a toddler and a marriage hanging on by a thread, we were bankrupt. I'm a young dad, I didn't know what to do. I was so scared I couldn't breathe. I remember standing in the shower with it as hot as I could stand it on my face and just stand there and cry. I didn't know what to do. The good news was was that I met God on the way up. I'll tell you this, I got to know him on the way down. See, I had a I surrender all moment and it wasn't a Baptist altar call with every eye closed and every head bowed. No, it was I surrender all your Lord. And I came to understand and believe at the deepest part of the recesses of my soul that my heavenly father crazy about me he loves me he loves you and if that's the case then if we being evil know how to give our kids good gifts how much more so our father in heaven he's not going to tell me to do something that's not going to turn out well any more than I would tell my kids who I love more than life itself to do something that's not going to turn out well The only difference is he's infinitely intelligent and I'm not. So his advice is perfect. His advice, his direction, his word is loving beyond comprehension and perfect every time. I can surrender to that. You're my Lord and my Savior, not just my Savior. I don't just believe in God. The demons believe in God. They're not atheists. I don't just believe there is a God. He's in charge. He's my Lord. And it works out really good because he's crazy about me. He's got a plan for me and it's not to bring me harm, but to bring me hope. And so I'm going to get out his word. And I did in those early days. And I'm going through here. I'm going to live every part of my life this way because I don't know anything about anything. I don't know how to be married the right way. And so I'm going to learn what this says about marriage. Submit yourselves one to another. Oh, no. That means I got to dry dishes. That means we have to watch the movie she wants to watch. My kids are like, I'm going to raise my kids this way. My kids are like, Dad, what's this rod stuff? Well, come here, baby, I'll show you. (laughs) I'm going to run my business this way. If you read Proverbs over and over and over and over again, you'll have a master's degree in finance. It's the book of wisdom written by God. Wow. Talk about an MBA. Yeah. That's what I did. And then I came to the conclusion because I'm just a simple guy. I mean, I've got plenty of education and all the academics and letters and licenses after my name, but I got to thinking about it. Who was it taught me to borrow money? That was my finance professor in college who was broke. What's wrong with that picture? A broke finance professor is like a shop teacher with missing fingers. And so to the extent my academic understanding of how life works did not align itself with my Lord's instruction who loves me beyond belief, I discarded it. To the extent it did line up, then it confirmed what academia was teaching me. But to the extent that sophisticated people don't understand, that means they're ignorant. Because you see, my pastor had a saying, he said, A man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. That'll tweet. So we started learning how to handle money, God's ways, because obviously we didn't know how to handle money. I got a finance degree, and here I sit broke. What's wrong with this picture? And I started finding out that the Bible has 2,500 plus scriptures on how to look at, view, and handle money and possessions. God talks about this a lot. Why? Because we live in this fertile thing called a life. We have this field in front of us, and whatever we plant is going to grow. If we plant corn, we don't go, Wow, corn, how'd that happen? We don't go, Where's the beans? If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. And I planted stupid, and I got bushel baskets of desperate. I got a big, tr- big crop come in. You're going to reap what you sow. What you put into, you're going to get out. There's a cause and effect thing. You jump off a building, you're going to find the sidewalk. There's a law called gravity. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. Well, not in, see, I See, I'm making up my own truth. Yeah, that'll work for you. Not at all. you hit the sidewalk. You can't fly because you decided to. There's truth that's independent of us. And to the extent we align ourselves with that truth, our lives are awesome. To the extent we don't, it'll knock the hair off your head. It's bad. That's what happens. Stress will do this. So we hit bottom and we started climbing our way out, started teaching people how to handle money. Went on a little radio show on this broke radio station, and now we're on 596 radio stations. It's bizarre millions of books sold, the Financial Peace University class, I start teaching it as a Sunday school at my church with a bad suit and an overhead projector, and and pretty soon people are wanting it, we're trying to put it out, we put it out on VHS tapes, y'all remember those, and then we put it out on DVDs, then we put it out on these MP3s, and then we put it out on the whatevers, and it doesn't matter, it was just God's ways of handling things, and it was working because when, you know, when God's ways of doing things intersect a portion of your life, it changes the trajectory of your life, doesn't it? Say yes. And so now 50,000 churches have taught over 5 million people, Financial Peace University, the class. It blows my mind that God decided to take my stupidity and then my submission to him and chose to use it. I just stand back going, wow. There were a lot of lemons, but he made a lot of lemonade. It's amazing. And then I get to meet someone like the young man up here a second ago, and he gets his life changed, we never met before today because of something that was written on a piece of paper, typed out, and, and, and it was God's ways of doing things that came to him. He gave Dave Ramsey credit, but you and I both know it didn't work because Dave Ramsey did it because Dave Ramsey's a fool. But not to the extent Dave Ramsey aligns with what Scripture says. And then I'm suddenly wise. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) So there's five things that if you do these five things with money, they work 100% of the time because they're the truth. I didn't invent them. I stole them all straight from the Bible. And if you do these five things over and over and over again perfectly, which no one can do, but to the extent you engage intentionally in these five things over the next 15 to 17 years, you will build a level of wealth 100% of the time. Now, I don't know the level of wealth you will build because I don't know what your income will be and I don't know what tragedy will befall you. But regardless of the income you produce and the number of tragedies that befall you, regardless of that, you will build a level, a level of wealth. Some of you more than others based on income and lack of tragedy, right? Or incomes lower and lots of tragedy. But you can still, even in spite of all, I can't predict car wrecks and cancer, right? And I don't know how much you'll work while you're at work and how that'll turn into money, which is a scriptural thing, the diligent prosper, it's all in there. See, it's all in, it's woven all in there. And, and so, but, but if you'll do these five things, I'll just, I'll just, I can't, I don't have time to do all 2,500 today, but we're gonna do five basic ones. And if you do these five, it'll rock your world. The first one is live on a budget, a plan, a written plan. Jesus said, don't build a tower without first counting the cost. Lest you get halfway up and you're unable to finish... And all who see you began to mock you and say this man began to build and was unable to finish. See, that was me. My only plan was buy everything in sight regardless of how much debt I went into. I have no plan at all. And so there we sat broke and Sharon and I about killed each other, y'all. Number one cause of divorce in North America today, money fights and money problems. And we're at the bottom and I'm scared and she scared her. She would have left, but she didn't have a car. I mean, we, we didn't get a divorce. We held on to each other, but sometimes it was just to get a better grip. Y'all ever been there? She's from the hills of East Tennessee, frying pan throwing. There's an Olympic event. <laughs> so have a written plan. My friend John Maxwell says, a budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. My friend Zig Ziglar used to say that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. If you worked for a company called U Incorporated and your job at U Incorporated was to manage money for U Incorporated and you manage money for U Incorporated the way you manage money for you now, would you fire you? Don't answer that. But if the answer is yes, please don't pray and ask God to send you money because He will answer your prayer. He will say no. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Because what your loving Heavenly Father knows is that if he gives you something that you think is a blessing, but you do not have the infrastructure, the skeletal structure in your character and in your knowledge base and your competency to carry the thing that you think is a blessing, it will become a curse. How many of you have ever seen people get money that didn't need money and it ruined their life? It's a curse. Your Heavenly Father knows this. I'm a loving father. My son is a grown man, a wonderful young man. When he was 14, though, he said... Dad, when I turn 16, I'm going to get a new Corvette. To which his loving father said, No, I have seen you drive, my son. You are incompetent. A new Corvette goes from zero to 60 in an eye blink. It has a fiberglass body. You'll kill someone or yourself or both. No, you will be getting an old Chevette with a tired gerbil under the hood. But my son, when you are faithful with the little things, when you take care of that car, You keep the oil changed. You keep it clean. You don't run it up through a field somewhere. When you're faithful with the little things, then you will be given more to manage. You ever heard that scripture? That's what God's doing. That's at the end of the parable of the talents, by the way. At the end of the parable of the talents, the story is is that the guy who didn't manage the money well, you know what God did? He took the money away from him and gave it to the other guy who managed money well. Not very politically correct. Not real wealth equality. Because God knows that if you're given something that you can't handle, it's not a blessing. It's a curse. So prove yourself worthy in the little things. On paper, on purpose, before the month begins, you're going to manage millions of dollars through your working lifetime coming through your hands. Don't get to the end of your life and be broke because you did not make the money behave. On paper, on purpose, every dollar has a name. We've actually got free software out there, app for your phone called Every Dollar that you can jump on and do that. It's free. It's completely free. So try it. But you, the point is, give every dollar a name. You're going to make the money behave. That's all we're doing. The second one is get out of debt and stay out of debt. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. Slave to the lender. You know what's interesting? That's Proverbs 22:7. You know what Proverbs 22, 6 is? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. The borrower, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. We always read those separately. Isn't it interesting that maybe we ought to teach our kids not to go $48 gazillion in debt to get a degree in German polka history? It's painful out here. It's painful. We never talk about those together, though borrower slave to the lender. Every time debt is mentioned in the scripture, it, it, you're a fool, it's a curse. You're a slave. Now it's not a salvation issue. If you're in debt, it, Jesus doesn't hate you. you. You can get into heaven. There's people in heaven that had mastercards, okay? But they do call it master card. Really? You just did that. I mean. And then the whole country bought it. It's just bizarre, you know? You're weird, Dave. I know, but normal's broke. I wanna be normal. I don't wanna have a normal marriage. I wanna live an abundant life. I want, just what he was talking about, when I give, I want, I want abundance in my life. And doesn't, I don't, I'm not talking about money. Money's part of it, but that's, you know, I'm talking about, I wanna I want live wide open. I want to bring every drop out of this thing, baby. I want to live it Why? He's got stuff for us. I want it all. And that's not greed. It's just my heavenly father is crazy about me. He's got a plan for me. And I'm going to live it. I'm going to do it. So biblically speaking, debt is not a sin. Biblically speaking, debt is not a salvation issue for sure. But 100% of the references to debt in scripture are negative. There was no time in Scripture that, you know, the Israelites were hemmed down in the valley by the Amalekites, and so they went to the local bank and got a loan. God provided, not in there. God never provided for his people using debt. Not one single mention of debt in Scripture, and it's in there hundreds of times, except negatively. And yet all these sophisticated people, I quit. I quit, I don't borrow money. You know what you got if you don't have any payments? Money, (laughs) if you're working. Because most people are like a rat in a wheel. All the money comes in, all the money goes out, only the names are changed to protect the innocent. Straight through. I don't wanna live like that, life's too short. So we made a decision, we don't borrow money. We got out the credit cards and had a plastic surgery party. We had a plastectomy. You don't have any credit cards? Nope. That's my wallet. Got green president's faces. Four pieces of plastic. My debit card on my personal account. My debit card on my business account. And I travel more than any two of you put together. And my driver's license and my handgun carry permit. And that's all that's in there. It's all that's there. Y'all are snickering. I was in California the other day. I about got arrested when I said that, but <laughs> it's good to be back in America. But, um... <laughs> but, but I mean, here's the thing about that. You know, you know what the average car payment in America is? $502 a month. $502 a month over 84 months. If you take $500 a month and put it in a decent growth stock mutual fund from age 30 to age 70, you'll have $5.6 million. Hope you like the car. People call me on my radio show. They're like, Dave, I can't fund my kid's college fund. I said, how much do you owe in your car? I was calling about college. <laughs> what do you owe in your car? $27,000. What do you make? $32,000. Were you smoking crack with the finance manager? <laughs> Who made this loan? This is not a subprime loan. This is a subterranean loan. This is nuts. And this is what's going on out here in the world, isn't it? People are crazy, man. Kid called me the other day, the $1,136 car payment. Got repoed. He goes, should I go get it back? And I went, no, just let him have it. Guy <laughs> <It's like, laughs> called me from Texas. He said, dude, I got a big truck payment. You're going to kill me. I'm not going to kill you. You're in Texas. I'm in Tennessee. How much do you owe on your truck? I was like, 65, $70,000. On a truck? Yeah. How much is your truck payment? $763. A month? Yeah. How much is your house payment? Oh, we live in a double wide, 550. (laughs) Dude, if your truck payment's bigger than your house payment, you might be a redneck. (laughs) Seriously. Wow. Unbelievable. The third one doesn't feel financial, but it is, and that's foster high-quality relationships. And I really should say with high-quality people, because do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Did you know you become who you hang around with? You know that about your kids, right? Now, I'm not suggesting you're snobbish and you never talk to people different than you. I talk to people different than me all the time. That's how I learn stuff. But... but my crew, I'm talking about. The people that influence the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you dress, what movies you watch and what books you read. Who is that? Because you're going to be like them. You know that about your kids, raising kids. So, you know, we noticed when we were raising our kids that if our kids were running around with a kid that was misbehaving, they'd start having a mouth on them just like that kid. Y'all ever had that happen? And so, you know, little Johnny down the street smoking weed, you don't let your kid run around with little Johnny unless you want a little weed head in your house, right? Right? 'Cause that's what's gonna happen. Oh, he's ministering. No. My daughters when they were my daughters when they were dating, we didn't do missionary dating, okay? It's like, you daddy, all the boys in the youth group are scared of you. Good. Keeps away two things you don't want, darling, jerks and wimps, right? And so you pull up in front of our house and honk your horn, you better be delivering a pizza, right? So Be coming inside, talk to the old man. Yeah, it changes the whole process. Y'all see what I'm talking about? We know you become who you hang around with. I was in New York the other day. You know those people all got an accent? Some of y'all moved down here. You were Yankees, and we had to teach you to talk. We love you. We're glad you're here, some of you. But isn't it amazing? You become, have you noticed that? You, you, the vernacular, we were actually talking about it on the ride over here a while ago, that the differences between East Tennessee and Middle Tennessee, the vernacular is different. Little slight things, you know, like in East Tennessee, you're fixing to do something. In Middle Tennessee, we carry people. I'm gonna carry you to the grocery store. Like you put them on your shoulder or something. I mean, <laughs> like give somebody a ride, you're carrying them. It's like b- before there was Uber, you know what I mean, right? And, and so, but it's, you become who you hang around with. Be careful. Did you know your income will be within 10 to 15% of the average of your 10 closest friends over an extended period of time? Some of you are like, I need some new friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking about your close ones, the ones that influence you. You know, I don't say words I used to say when I ran around with a different group of folk before Jesus. My mouth is different than it used to be. Can you imagine? Really? It's not because I'm holy. I just run with a different group of people. If I said some of that stuff in front of them, they would look at me like I was from a different planet or something. If I talked like that in, their, in my buddy's presence, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you just, what? It's like I was a, a foreign agent or something coming into their midst. You become who you hang around with. Be careful. The fourth one is save and invest. Invest. The Bible says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice, food, and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You spend everything you make, you're a fool. I've been a fool. Fool, 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 fool. God called me a fool because I was a fool. You spend everything you make, you're a fool. I didn't say it. God did. In the house of the wise are stores of choice, food, and oil. Choice food... In Solomon's time in an agrarian culture when this was written was reserved only for the aristocracy, the kings and such, the kings and the king's court. Probably six to nine percent of the population, maybe. Most of the population were peasants. There was no middle class. And you're thinking Mediterranean setting, okay, so we're talking not beans and rice, but hummus and olives, okay? right, they barely subsisted. Choice food, like you and I eat every day, was reserved only for the rich. Oil, used to burn the lamps in the holy of holies in the temple of God, used to anoint kings over their head, was a representation of God's spirit. So it was highly valued. And oil could be used, like we use green presidents' faces, in the marketplace as a medium of exchange. It was like money. Now reread it. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Wealth, wise people save money. They save money for emergencies, you know why? Grandma said save for a rainy day, you know why? Because it's gonna rain, you better get ready. Job lay off, cars wrecked, people get sick. This one I don't understand, unexpected pregnancy. Say what? Okay. (laughs) Life happens, and if you have some money saved, You're ready, you're wise. You better get ready to retire. You better put some money aside. You got a kid going to college, you better start thinking about that. They don't accidentally go to college. No one accidentally wins the Super Bowl. They never interview a athlete after the Super Bowl and go, how'd you get here? I don't know, I just got off the bus and it's the Super Bowl. (laughs) You know, it's never an accident. It's this whole series of lifetime intentional acts that got them to a supreme level of their craft. Don't get to the end of your life and be broke and say, I sure hope the government, which is well known for its ability to handle money, will take care of me. (laughs) If you're waiting on the Democrats or the Republicans to fix your life, you are up a creek. Your loving Heavenly Father, however, has a plan. He has a plan. It changes everything. Save and invest, save and invest. The last one is my favorite. See, if you get on a budget And you get out of debt, you're able to save money. And if you're running around with people that are thinking like smart people, they encourage you to do smart things instead of making fun of you, you know? And then you're able to be generous. Be outrageously and be incredibly generous. God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in the Greek is the word helios. We get our word hilarious from it. So the next time they pass those Kentucky fried chicken buckets, y'all just break out and go, (laughs) ha ha! Hilarious giver! God loves a hilarious giver. That'd probably freak some people out in your row. Maybe you shouldn't do it, but you can do it in your mind anyway. Think about it. And when we're talking about giving, we're talking about as evangelical Christians, a tithe, a 10th of your income to your local church. That's just your baseline. That's where you start. That's off the top before you do anything else. And then then you start talking about other giving and you can do that if you're not broke, hello. Because you're on a plan and you've saved money and you got out of debt. If you didn't have any payments and you had money in the bank and you were on a plan, could you increase your giving? Say yes. Could you help some people that you really have a heart for and you wanted to help? Could you change? Could you randomly do some acts of kindness that would be mind blowing? If you're walking around with that in your pocket, you can. And it's extra money, just for fun. Let me give you a way to have some fun. Thanksgiving's coming, right? On your way to Grandma's house for the feast. Leave 30 minutes early. Put the kids in the car. If you've got kids, a spouse in the car, you've got a spouse, whoever's going, put them in the car. On your way, stop at the Waffle House. Park in front so you can see what's going on inside. You know, they've usually got the little food bar in a couple of booths. You know what I'm talking about, right? Go in there, leave everybody else in the car, and you go in there and sit down. Have a cup of coffee. You know who's working in Waffle House on Thanksgiving morning? Somebody needs a job bad. A, they're in Waffle House. B, it's Thanksgiving morning. I rest my case. Have you a cup of coffee. You don't even have to drink all of it. Leave about three Uncle Benjamin Franklin $100 bills under the saucer. Shimmy out, jump in the car. Hey, kids, watch this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Show him. More is caught than taught if you want to teach your kids how to handle money, right? Let me tell you what she'll do. She'll walk up and she'll see it. And she pulls it up and you will get to see grace. If you've never physically seen grace, you get to see it. Here's what it looks like. She lifts it up and thinks to herself, this must not be for me. I'm not worthy. Is that grace? And you know she's thinking that because when she picks them up, she'll look this way, and she'll look this way to see if it was a mistake. And then she starts to realize that this is the providence, the sovereignty of God that has landed right there in her station this day. And as she does that, the eyes will start to fill up. And she'll look up. It'll go right over her heart. But money's evil and rich people are evil. Maybe not. And when she puts it over her heart, the next thing she's going to do, have you ever seen a human do a Snoopy dance? <laughs> Boom! Boom! Because that lady might be a single mom. 52% of them live below the poverty level. And that might, by not Thanksgiving dinner, but dinner. Might be wrong. I might be over-stereotyping. But I'll challenge you this. Find me something else you can do with $300 that's more fun. Nothing. (laughs) I mean, you can go have a really nice dinner, white tablecloth. They'll bring you some of the best food on the planet for a couple about that kind of rate, won't they? It's gone by the next morning. You do that, you just made an investment into eternity where moth and rust cannot destroy. Have you heard these scriptures? When you put all this together, it works together. And a beautiful symphony, a beautiful orchestra movement in your life. And it changes everything. When I was going broke, I can't sing a lick. That's why I'm in, on the front row over here so the people behind in front of me aren't abused. And, um, but I sadly was sitting out there and people were sitting in front of me when I was going broke. But I didn't care whether I made a joyful noise or not because I stood in the middle of that praise and worship with my hands raised in full surrender and God just bathed over me and began to change my life. And the Holy Spirit began to heal what was broken and what was not there he was placing that I could learn to be a daddy. And now I'm Papa Dave. Yeah, my oldest grandson, grandkids are awesome. If I'd have known how great grandkids are gonna be, I'd have been nicer to their parents. That front door closes, and that oldest one who's four, hey, hey, Papa Dave, world stops. That's what happens when you pray, Abba, Father, Daddy God, my heavenly Father who's crazy about me, I come boldly before your throne with my petitions. Because that's what you told me to do. You know what he does? He turns off the TV, puts down the book and he leans forward. He inclines his ear to you and gives you the ability and the strength to change your life. Because when his love and his principles intersect your life, they change the trajectory of your life and your whole family tree. The children's children changed. It's in there. It's all in there.